1 Samuel chapter 24, we're going to talk about King David this morning before he was a king. And David, I, I, just, I just love David because he was a man's man, but he was also a man after God's own heart. Not because he got it right, not because he always made the best decision, not because he was perfect or anything, not by any stretch. But one of the things that we're going to see emerge from this text this morning is, is one of the huge reasons why King David, before he was a king, was a man after God's own heart. And I, I, I'm going to take some liberties, even in reading this passage this morning. Keep in mind, it is Father's Day. And um, I didn't make up this passage this morning that I'm about to read. It's in the Bible. So just the fact that we're going to read it, if you think at any place it gets inappropriate, I'm sorry, it's in the Bible. It's been there a long time before me. But this is a funny story, at least it is to me. I, I'll admit to having a warped sense of humor, but this, this is just good. This, this is just only, only God would write a Bible with a story like this in it. But there's so much to glean, there's so much to learn from David through this. I, I think it speaks especially to men, but I think it's going to speak to all of us. First Samuel chapter 24, let's just jump in. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Yes, the Bible just said in not non-specific terms that Saul the king went into the cave to relieve himself. Now I don't want to get overly specific about that, but let's just say this. I, I picture Saul tucking a newspaper under his arm and walking into that cave. Saul had to see a man about a dog, and he picked the wrong cave to go into. Because little did he know, of all the caves that he could have picked, David and his men are hiding in that cave. Sounds like a divine appointment to me. Not so much for Saul, but for David. Because we've just read Saul and 3,000 men are chasing after David. And the opportunity presents itself. But let's keep reading. Verse 4. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and killed King... No, it's not what it says. It said, then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now understand, David had a great opportunity here. Saul's trying to kill him. Saul doesn't know he's there. David can sneak out and he can do a couple of things. The first thing that David could have done is just this. 
He could have killed Saul. He could have put an end to all of that nonsense. And he could have praised God for the opportunity. He could have said, glory to God. God sovereignly, divinely arranged King Saul to be in the cave. And I killed him because God gave me the opportunity. David didn't do that because Saul was God's anointed. But there's a second thing that David could have done with that opportunity, and this would have been even easier. He's in the cave with with his men. He could have said, you guys go kill him. And it wouldn't have been a problem for them. They would have loved to have the, the, the chance to do that. They would have happily done it. And David could have, you know, his hands would have been clean. Saul would have been dead. And they all could have lived happily ever after, except for the fact that Saul was God's anointed to be the king. And David was not going to take that opportunity. This is an honorable man. This is is an amazing thing for David to say, I'm not going to do that. Let's continue. Verse 6. Here's what he said. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is, there it is again, the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Saul had no idea what had taken place. And he's in for a big surprise. Verse 8. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, oh, there's David. There's the guy that we're chasing after. There's the one that I've got these 3,000 troops that are going after. Saul looked behind him. David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage to the guy that's trying to kill him. Why? Because he's the Lord's anointed. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of these men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is, there it is again, the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. See this right here? Look familiar? Now look down at the corner of your robe. You're missing something, aren't you? I could have done it. I had every opportunity. You were wrapped up in the funny papers in there, and I could have cut off the corner of your robe. He cuts off the corner of the robe, and he's holding it up saying, Saul, I I could have done it. I could have done it. All of these, you're believing this thing that, that I'm out against you, against you. You're, you're believing this, this lie that I'm your enemy. Looky right here. I had the chance and I didn't do it. Why are you chasing after me? Let's continue. Verse 12. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. 
So let, let's talk for a minute about how, how we even got to this place before we make some observations about David here, because it's, it's a great opportunity that he has. But, but let's talk about a little bit of background here uh, of some things that have taken place before this. And we don't have time this morning to study the whole life of David. I wish that we did. But, but there's just a couple of key points here. The, the first thing is this. It's just understand that David, even though Saul is God's anointed, David at this point has also already been anointed as the, as the next king of Israel. This has already happened. David knows that that is in his destiny. David knows that God is going to bring that about. And you'll remember when Samuel came to anoint the next king, David wasn't even there. David, it was all of his brothers. David was out taking care of the sheep, and they had to send for him. It wasn't ever a thing of David hears word that Samuel is there, and he comes running over the hills saying, hey, wait for me. Don't anoint the king without me. In fact, they went through the whole list of David's brothers, and Samuel said, it's not any of them. Do you have any more sons, Jesse? They sent for David, and here he came. David already knew that he was going to be the next king, but it was all about the timing. It was all about how this was going to take place. And David just realized and understood that, that God was going to bring that to happen, that David didn't have to do that himself. It wasn't all up to him. David's already been anointed as the next, next king of Israel. And then God did an amazing thing with David in preparation for that role that he was going to play. He let him go into the palace. Not as the king in training, not as the prince, not as the heir apparent, David gets into the palace of Saul because he knew how to play the harp. And Saul would get into these fits of rage and, and get probably where he needed medication and all kinds of things. And David would come and he would play his harp because he was gifted in the worship of the Lord and it would calm Saul down at least temporarily. And what a, what a great opportunity David had in preparation and development to be the next king that God put him right there in the palace. And God put him in a place where, where he could see things, where he could learn things that we never even really read about. But there is David, and he's growing up in the palace in a completely different role. But he knows someday, He's going to be king. But like unlike so many other leaders, he can wait. He can rest. He can trust. And maybe you can relate to this. Maybe your boss or, or maybe you have somebody in your life. And let's just be honest. They're a jerk. They're hard to work with. They're hard to work for. You, you can't get along with them. Nothing you ever do is going to be right. Nothing you ever do is going to be good enough. And when you finally do something right, they take credit for it. It's all of that type of thing. That is exactly what David endured. Even though Saul was God's anointed to be the king, Saul is a messed up individual at this point. And David is going to be raised up, uh, up under that. And, and for you and I that want to so quickly run away from that, my boss is such a jerk, my family members are, are this way, and we want to run away from that, sometimes that is exactly the type of situation that God will put us in to develop us. And yes, that person is a jerk. Yes, that person is dysfunctional. But God can still use that in your life and in my life. 
We want to run away from that. And God says, no, that's exactly what I'm going to use. I don't like that any more than you do, but that's the truth of how it works sometimes. The last thing is this, you know, God put David in the king's palace. He could play the harp. Pretty soon Saul would send David out on assignments. And Saul would would let David go out and fight the battles for the kingdom of Israel. And David had enormous success wherever he went. And pretty soon, the people started to realize what was going on here. And one day, Saul is standing around. David's coming back from battle into the city. And the women and the children are singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. You could just see Saul get redder and redder and so angry and so jealous. And rather than be able to rejoice at the success that God was giving David in Saul's behalf. Hey, Saul was the one that sent him into these battles where he was successful every time. It made Saul look good. But all Saul could hear is David is slain. Saul is slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands and he got mad and he, he set a course of I've got to destroy this David. Jealousy, rage just began to, to rise up in him. Meanwhile, David's innocent. David's, been, David's doing what he was asked to do. He goes into battle. He defeats Israel's enemies the same way that he had with Goliath. But Saul's getting angrier and angrier. And that is one of the marks right there that we can see. And whether it's you or whether it's somebody in leadership, maybe you've seen this before. Insecure leaders. People, people that are not secure in the place that they have. At, at any level, insecure leaders have to do things like that. They have to destroy the opposition. They have to seek to kill and destroy because they're, they're, not, they're not secure in the place that God has given them. And they feel like all of the things that they had to do to get into that position, no matter what it took, they're, they're going to stay in that position no matter what it's going to take. And so for Saul, if that means killing David, that's what he's got to do because Saul is incredibly insecure at this point. And, and consistently throughout the Bible and in history, that is the mark of an insecure leader is that he's got to destroy all of his enemies. He's got to take out everybody else. There can't be anybody to question me. There can't be any opposition. Saul's going to end up destroying himself for those very reasons. But again, that's kind of the background there was no good reason for Saul to be pursuing David the way that he was, but he was still doing it. And David has the perfect opportunity to kill Saul. Why didn't he get to do it? David could have killed Saul, but that was not the way. And understand, David killed a lot of people. David didn't have any trouble killing Goliath. David didn't have any trouble, remember the song, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Killing's not the issue, but killing the Lord's anointed is the issue here. And David wasn't going to do that. He had the right to do it. This guy's chasing me. This guy's coming after me. This guy wants me dead. He had the right, but it still wasn't right. It wasn't the thing to do. Why not? 
Here's, here's the thing that we need to come away, one of the things that we need to come away with this morning. Here's ultimately the reason why David was not allowed to kill Saul when he had the perfect opportunity. It's just this. The kingdom of God does not operate like the kingdoms of the world. It doesn't. The kingdom of God does not operate like the kingdoms of this world, and the servants of God don't either. The servants of God, the the ones who we're going to say we're on God's team, we're followers of Jesus, whatever we do, we need to operate according to God's principles, not according to the principles of this world. It's a very popular thing, and I don't want to get into this whole discussion, but, but just notice it's a very popular thing for churches to become more and more and more and more like the world so that they can attract people in the world. The problem is when a church becomes more and more and more like the world, there, there's nothing there. to. There's no gospel there. There's no truth there. It's just a church becoming more like the world. We cannot operate by the, by the principles of this world to achieve God's purposes, to achieve God's agenda. God doesn't need us to operate that way. And David wasn't going to do that, but how, how often are we tempted to do the right thing in the wrong way? Even kingdom things, we're, we're tempted to go about doing kingdom things in fleshly ways. And David wasn't about to do that at this point. So verse 15, there in 1 Samuel 24, this is what it came down to for David. This this was the choice that he had to make. And this is what he said to Saul at, at the end of all this. Verse 15, May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you. And see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Here's the deal, Saul. You can chase me. You can pursue me all you want to. I'm not even claiming my innocence here. I'm just saying, may the Lord judge between me and you. Because ultimately, this whole story, David's whole life is not about Saul's pursuit of David. All of this is about God's pursuit of David and what God wanted to do and what God wanted to accomplish in his life. So I want to spend the rest of the time this morning, let's see what we can learn from David. Let's, let's see what we can, can figure out from him. Because even by this point, David is going to go through a lot more. David is going to face a whole lot more. But David had already learned in his life to recognize, to look for the sovereign hand of God in the events of his life. And that's why he would be able to write psalms like, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does that mean? It means that because God, God is my shepherd, because God is shepherding me, because God is taking care of me. I don't need to want anything else. I don't need to have anything else. Ultimately, it's all in his hands, and he is my shepherd, and he is going to take care of me. And all of the things that David would walk through and endure and be chased by this king and all of that, That was David's heart. That was David's confidence. 
that God was his shepherd, that the Lord was going to take care of him through this. Let's look at a couple of things here to learn from David. Three things. The first one is this. David did not ingratiate himself for personal gain. Now, why am I using a big word there? Well, honestly, because it rhymes with the next two words that we're going to use. So ingratiate means to, to, to gain favor by flattery. Um, there are a couple of slang terms for that, but none of them are appropriate for me to use this morning. But you understand what I'm saying. It, it means somebody that, that kind of worms their way into something that by shallow flattery and all that. David didn't do any of that. David had every right. David had done everything where he should have the favor of the king, the way that he had the favor of the people. But he wasn't going to ingratiate himself for personal gain. For David, he could just be who he was and be confident in that because he knew that the Lord was his shepherd. And and, uh, please, please understand this about uh, David's preparation process this morning, because you may find it to be so true in your life as well. In David's life, God used opposition continually to refine him, to teach him to trust God. And please understand this this morning. We have to let go of the expectation that everybody's going to like us, that everybody's going to receive us, that everybody's going to think that we're wonderful, especially when we're trying to do the right thing, especially when we're trying to serve God. And a lot of us are, are so concerned about, well, I, I, I've got I've to make sure that, that these people over here like me. And, and I don't think they quite understood what I was trying to do there. So let me go over and, and kind of fix that over here and try to explain myself here. And, and all of those things that we try to do to make sure that we're okay with everybody and that everybody likes us and approves of us. If King David or, or David at this point had tried to, had tried to do that throughout his life, He would have never been able to accomplish the kingdom purposes that he did because because he already had that from God. He didn't need that from everybody else around him. He knew that he was okay. He, He knew that God was his shepherd. And some of us just need to rest in that because we're trying to get approval. We're trying to get validation from everybody else. And the truth is we're never going to get it. And the closer we get to the Lord, we just need to understand that there is going to be betrayal. We are going to be falsely accused of things. We are going to be misunderstood. Our motives are going to be questioned. And, and, And it's not going to be fair. It's not going to be right. But it's going to happen because people are going to fail us. You walk through a crisis in your life. You walk through something amazingly difficult or or something happens to you. I guarantee you something's going to happen. You're going to find out who has your back and who doesn't. And you're going to be surprised not only by who doesn't have your back, you're going to be surprised by who does. Crises in our lives just generate that, and we can be so concerned about trying to make everything okay about here. And God just says, I got this. I've got this under control, and all you need is my approval. All you need is is my acceptance. And God's going to take us through very difficult places to teach us that, and understand this, God is going to refine us and teach us, and he will use our enemies to do it. 
He will use our opposition to do that. Now this afternoon, I'd like for us all to sit down and read through the entire book of Psalms. And here's why I'm asking you to do but seriously, maybe not this afternoon, but maybe tomorrow morning. But sometime, read through the Psalms with an eye for what we call imprecatory Psalms. Those are the Psalms we read, and, and I like these because those are the ones that aren't saying, praise God, and, and I like those too. But these imprecatory Psalms are the ones where the psalmist is praying, God, break the teeth of the wicked. God, strike my enemies on the cheek. God, destroy my enemies. Destroy those who oppose me. Destroy those who, who accuse me. And I just want, yeah, get them, God. Is it okay to pray that? Here's the thing. With love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in mind, understand this. This is, this is what David understood in writing those Psalms. He could, he could pray that way. He could pray for God to break the teeth of the wicked and all smite the enemy and all of those wonderful descriptions of the enemy getting what's coming to him. But it was David taking his hands off of it and saying, God, you do that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the one to do that. I'm not the one to do this. God, you do that. And continually through the Psalms, we see that where the the psalmist is just praying, God, get them. But at the same time, it's not, it's not me taking revenge. It's not me getting even stepping back and letting God do that. And that's where it's okay. That's, that's where it's trusting the sovereignty, the, the mighty hand of God to be able to do that. David didn't ingratiate himself for personal gain. Second thing is this. I told you it was going to rhyme. David did not humiliate the opposition. Can you imagine if David, while Saul is in the cave relieving himself, if David had killed him at that opportunity... Can you imagine the newspaper headlines the next day? Indulge me here for a moment. Nature calls, Saul falls. I mean, wouldn't that just be beautiful? King slain in bowels of cave. I mean, it just horrible, horrible things. Had the great opportunity to just humiliate this guy. I mean, it it would have just been what we would call poetic justice that David could have killed Saul while he's relieving himself in the cave. That's embarrassing. But David didn't have to do that. David didn't have to go that route. David didn't have to, to seize the opportunity like that because it was in his heart that Saul was God's anointed and this was not the way, this was not the timing. And God did not need for him to, to bring that about that way. And one of the things we can just learn from that is just this, don't take revenge. It doesn't belong to you. God says, vengeance is mine. That means if you're taking revenge, if I'm taking vengeance on someone, I am taking what belong, what God has said is his. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. David wasn't going to do that. That wasn't the way that this was supposed to happen. And, and the reason why David's a man after God's own heart is because he recognized that, that I don't have to do this. I, I don't have to fight so hard for me. 
God's going to take care of this. And for some of us, we can get so wrapped up in our wounds and so wrapped up in how people have hurt us and have done us wrong. What, what happens is we start worshiping. We, we, we start bowing to the idol of our own personal vindication. And our goal in life is, is to vindicate ourselves. Our goal in life is, is to get even. Our goal in life is to strike out against those and punish those who have hurt us. And God says, vengeance is mine. And it becomes an issue of the idolatry of personal vindication versus obedience to God and God's glory. That's a hard place to learn if somebody's really hurt you. But when you understand the Lord is my shepherd... It's not such a big deal, and we can just let it go. David had a great opportunity here, and he wasn't going to take it because it wasn't about revenge. It wasn't about striking out at the enemy and humiliating the opposition. The next thing is this, just be assured. Because we read this through the Psalms, just be assured. We don't have to take revenge. God will settle the score. God's going to take care of it. And if we read a little bit further in 1 Samuel Saul got what was coming to him. David didn't have to bring that about. Saul was going to get it, and your enemies, your opposition, don't worry about it. God's going to take care of that. God's going to deal with that. You can just back off, take your hands off it, and rest and be at peace that God is my shepherd. I don't have to take revenge. I don't have to get even. I don't have to try to humiliate my opposition. God's got it. Third thing is this. David did not manipulate the outcome. Like we talked about, David could have taken action against Saul, could have humiliated him, all that, and he could have just spun the whole story his way. But by this point in David's life, and, and, and when, he, when he got away from this point, he was going to, there was going to be trouble for David. But, but in this place was just a simple place, and I pray as men that God would give, and women, that God would give this to all of us, just a place of quiet confidence and strength. That I don't, I don't have, to, I don't have to, to be frantic. I don't, I don't have to always try to settle the score. I don't have to manipulate the outcome here. David's just at rest. He can, he can cut off a corner of Saul's robe and even feel a little bit guilty about that and watch Saul walk right out of that cave and not feel like, man, I just blew that opportunity. I could have ended this right here. You will not have to violate God's standards to achieve God's purposes. Let me read that again. You will not need to violate God's standards to achieve God's purposes. If there is something that you believe that God wants, if there is something that, that you feel like God is calling you to or has said to do, or you even something you feel like God wants to happen, you do not need to use the principles, the weapons, the tactics, the standards of the world in order to make that happen. If God has said that, you can stand on it and you can watch him bring that to pass. You don't have to, to do everything yourself in that way. You won't need to violate God's standards to achieve his purposes. Second part of that is this. God will make a way for you to be what he wants you to be and to do what he wants you to do. And you don't have to go outside of the standards of his word in order for that to happen. Oh, yeah, you might have to wait 
You might have to be frustrated. You might have to be misunderstood, betrayed, accused, all of those kind of things the way that David was. But you don't have to go back to the standards of the world to achieve what God has said to do. And I've I've seen this so often, and, and David would see it so often later in his own life when his son, Absalom, would rise up against him. And, and Absalom would, would do that. He, he would get people's favor by, by kind of sucking up to them and flattering them and, and doing all of the things that just you didn't have to do. If you're really supposed to be the next king, you won't have to do all that. You won't have to go against the current king. You won't have to go against the Lord's anointed to do all of that. God will put you into that place when he's ready to do that. David had learned that so many other people Hadn't learned that. And we see how it turned out for Absalom. He hadn't learned that principle. But the same thing is true for us. What do we feel like God has called us to do? What do we feel like God wants us to do? And how are we going to get there? Manipulation? just destroying all of our opposition and our enemies and all of that kind of thing? Or is it just out of a quiet rest, a quiet trust and confidence that God's going to do what he said he was going to do? And his timing is perfect. His ways are perfect. His ways are right. And God is going to do exactly that. This morning, as we kind of wind it down, I want to look at different principles this morning. Here's the difference between the kingdom and the world. Five things. The, 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 the world says take it by force. The kingdom says use restraint. It really is okay to just trust and let God handle it. Second thing, act in haste. That's easy for, for, to do, especially if you're a man and a man of action. Can you imagine David who had, who had done all of this and killed all of these people and was all through his life a man of action? Can you imagine it was easy for him to wait? Yet the principles of the kingdom... And God's word said, just wait, just chill. The next one is this, make assumptions. That's, well, you know, Saul's right here, so it must be God's will for me to kill him. You know, if, if you're kind of spiritual and you've been in church long enough, we've, we've all learned the words. We all know how to spin something in our favor. We all know how to put it in God terms so that what, what, what we're doing is we're doing what we really want to do anyway. We're just... We've learned how to spin it in such a way so that it makes it look like we're doing what God wants us to do. We're really good at that. You know, because if it's, if it's what I want to do, it must be what God wants. Maybe, maybe not. The next one, draw the sword or stand on the word. What is, what is God said? What is God promised? And do we, again, do we have to use the principles of the world, the tactics of the world to accomplish that? Or can we wait on God to bring that about? Finally, try to achieve versus learn to receive. That's difficult for men to do. We're achievers. We're accomplishers. We, we want to get out there and do it. We want to take action. We want to, we want to, at the end of the day, feel like we did something and it just doesn't feel comfortable. But the principle of the kingdom is sometimes we just sit and we just wait and we just receive. 
Because that's how God operates. Because when God gives and when God works in our lives and when God brings results that we could have never accomplished in the flesh, then we're not the ones that get the glory for it. God does. And that's what he's going for. And that's when it's a beautiful thing. But here's, here's what it comes back to. What was David's source? What was David's confidence? What, what was the place that, that, that David understood? I don't have to kill Saul. I'm going to be the king, but I don't have to take this guy out. I want us to read this statement together maybe a couple of times and practice for something we're going to do in just a few minutes. But, but the end of the matter is this. In ways I can never imagine, God is even now at work for my good and for his glory. Now let's try to read that together because we need to confess this together for you and, and, and believe this as you read it. Let's read this together. In ways that I could never imagine, God is even now at work for my good and for his glory. One more time. In ways that I could never imagine, God is even now at work for my good and for his glory. Do you believe that right where you're sitting this morning in the circumstances that you find yourself right now, do you believe that God is doing that? Because that was the place that David was operating from and all of the things that he did. God's got this. God's got this under control and he is working for my good and for his glory in the middle of circumstances. I don't get, I don't understand it. I don't like this. Why is this king chasing after me? All of those things. It's just okay. The Lord is my shepherd. But there's another part of that that's kind of inconvenient and, and kind of uncomfortable. We can read that statement and we can believe that statement, but there is an opt-out. There is a way for that not to happen. There is a way to, to see that all of, all of the plans and all of the, all of the things that could happen don't happen. And it's just this. In ways I can never imagine, God is even now at work for my good and for his glory. And the only one that can mess that up is me. That's scary. But you can choose to rush ahead of God. You can choose to use the the weapons of the world. You can choose to not do things God's way. And yes, you can forfeit his blessings. You can walk away from everything that God has for you when you refuse to do things his way. David would learn that later in his life. Some of us have had to learn that the hard way that, you know what, if only if I had waited on God, if only I had had a word from God before I just went out there and acted foolishly. The fact that we might opt out, the fact that we might do something to forfeit that, that doesn't change God's heart toward us. Doesn't mean that he doesn't love us anymore. Doesn't mean, well, fine, you can just have it your way. He can bring us back, but sometimes we've got to learn those lessons the hard way. Oh, you didn't want to do things my way? You didn't want to do things according to my word? Well, find out what it's like when you do things according to the world. Proverbs is right. The way of the transgressor is hard. And some of us have had to learn that. Some of us will have to learn that. But the scripture gives us examples like this. If we don't have to do it that way, it doesn't have to be like that. At the end of the day, we we just need to rest in this assurance. I don't have to fight for me. Because God's already doing that. I don't have to fight for me. God is fighting for me. 
And that's just a precious truth if we can rest in that this morning instead of frantically doing things the way that we do. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And it begins with that trust. And that trust gives us that understanding that it really is okay when our boss is a jerk and, and, and people don't seem to give us the credit or the respect and all of that that we feel like we deserve. And when we're falsely accused of something or our motives are questioned or all of those things that happen, just be at rest and peace and have that understanding from that place of trust. And that can give us that confidence and that strength that God wants us to be able to walk in. But he's going to do that through opposition. He's he's going to use those circumstances. And they're either going to push us away or they're going to draw us closer. But I want us to do something this morning as we get ready to to, to wrap it up. If you'll just stand together, we're going to recite something together. Because it really does come back to We can behave honorably, we can act nobly in a situation the way that David did when we understand what he understood. Psalms 23 was one of the things that he wrote that reflected that understanding. I'm kind of tired of only hearing this verse at somebody's funeral. I think we need to redeem it out of the funeral world. It's great at a funeral, but it actually impacts how we live, too. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.